emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. And welcome, for the last time in 2018, to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker. On today's show, Ron, the last edition of 2018 of Free Writer Friday. It's awesome, Ed. It's number 222. 222. Isn't that a TV show? Room 222. Yeah, room 222. That's right. 222. I have no idea what the show is about. I just remember the show. <laughs> yeah, that's odd. Because it's like have, back to the 70s, I think. Yeah, no clue what the show is about. We'll have to look that up and do a post about room 222, but I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, it just, it just, it just carbon dates me, I suppose, as, you know, being alive in the early 70s <laughs> right right coming of well, age uh, yeah exactly you know i'm glad that we separate this uh free rider friday from like a year in the review or oh even, yeah even best business books because i've got a huge stack on this stuff just <laughs> just, just normal you know like we normally do so like I, there's no way we could combine those three things into one show yeah, no, I know. Which is it, which we I think we've tried to do, and then that, hence it then broke apart into the best business books and a year in review. Because I think what happened was one year we did a year in review show, and we tried to do best business books, and got about halfway through the show, and we're like, okay, well this isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So yeah, so we got we're we're up and ready to rock and roll here, and. I've got stuff uh, I, I, in my stack. I purged my stack, Ron. I got it. I got it down. I purged it. I you did know, too. You know, so I think I, that that's helpful. But I, what I want to start off with is the one that's the oldest in my stack, and it goes back to October of 2018. So this year, and it's from our our friend Warren Meyer at the Coyote Blog. Okay. And it's just one one more great post that I just never got a chance to. To, to mention because I think and I've got a couple of things on on global warming or climate change or whatever you want to talk about and I figured this would be a good goodest place to start um, and that is he did a great post back in this day about the real scandal in climate science and the the scandal is is that the 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 the, the temp the problem with temperature data right mm-hmm. which I've I've always kind of been concerned about this you know if you really think about the idea of 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 measurements right and and you make a great distinction between a measurement and a metric right right? this this is clearly a measurement when you're taking the temperature but when you're taking the temperature of any one particular place at a particular time yes then i agree that you have a measurement but would you agree with me, Ron, that when you then try to understand what, let's say, the average global temperature is to try to get any kind of a feeling that you have now turned that measurement into a metric, right? Sure. Because, yeah, which 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 other measures are you going to include in your average? Correct. 
right? So right. you have you get to make a choice, and that choice can go one way or the other. And and how and how does one retrospectively go back and do this, considering that the data for this stuff is only you know for, let, let's just how, how long have been newspapers say say measuring temperature? Yeah, right? how far and, back? And, yeah, and. It, and where do we know? Where do we know it's from, right? I mean, I, and, and of course, they'll say, well, there's, there's ways that we can do this through the, the ice deposits that's, that's left. Right. Okay. Tree, tree rings and, and, you know, various trees and parts of the – this was part of the big scandal at that East Anglia University. The, the data, they, you know, it was manipulated and all sorts of stuff came out in those emails that, that got out from that scandal. Right. Anyway, so let me just, and this is a, this is a, a fairly extensive article, uh, but I, I just want to want to cut to the heart of it because there's other stuff that I want to get to, including to hear what's in your stack. But this is, this is his, his great observation. And that is that the world's governments this is now, I'm now quoting from the article, the world's governments have spent tens, perhaps hundreds of billions of dollars on global warming research and mitigation and have done almost zero to build out and improve a reliable temperature measurement system and historical me- temperature database. <laughs> and, and, and Ed, it's a scandal, but I don't know if that's the biggest one, at least not in my mind. But yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's clearly challenging just for, from that one aspect of it. And I guess that you know those those that are uh, skeptic or or not skeptics who are b- believe lock, stock, and barrel climate change serious problem. It's man 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 caused, and we're we're getting to the point of catastrophe. Would would say they rely on the quote science, which I maybe I'm just not smart enough. I haven't done the research enough to understand the the, the science. But I still come back to this thing that we've been talking about this entire year, thanks to Dr. Reginald Lee, and that is the difference between a measurement and a metric, and the fact that no matter how you shake this, you've turned what is a local measurement into a metric once, once you decide what to put in and out of it. And by that very nature, you've now introduced the possibility of of uh, or or significantly increased, I should say, the 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 ability to question that data. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, it's computer models. At least the catastrophic predictions are based on computer models that have that haven't been right. They haven't been able to predict the past, let alone what's going to happen thirty years from now or fifty years from now. I I, I don't know. It 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 so rhymes with other so-called catastrophes throughout history, whether it was the population bomb from Paul Ehrlich. Remember the coming ice age? Oh, yeah. You can go back to a Newsweek story and what was it, 77? Yeah. Uh, saying we're all going to freeze to death. Uh, I mean, this, this, this club of Rome, we're going to run out of oil. We're going to run out of this and that. I mean, just, you know, I just, I don't put a lot of stock into this stuff. It's scaremongering. Yep. Nope. But, Agreed. Anyway, so that's what I wanted to lead off with. That's so uh, I don't know if you've got anything else on that, but I've got a couple other things in my stack. Want to go down that path? But uh, but 
there's there's the first. No, I have I don't have anything else on climate, uh, but I I do have something that um, I meant to bring this up before because it's from November third, and I just wanted to get your opinion on this. I kind of didn't know until I read this that IBM bought Red Hat mm. for thirty four billion dollars. <clears throat> I paid a sixty three percent premium over their closing share price. Wow. <laughs> Um, Red Hat was founded in 1993. It reached $2.9 billion in revenue. And do you know where the name comes from, Ed? Uh, you know, it's one of the things I think I knew at one point, but it's not in the brain anymore. Okay, this is from the uh, founder, uh, Rob Bob Young, Bob Young, co-founder of the company. He said in 18th century France um, and America, the revolutionaries wore red caps during the uprisings. Uh, okay, maybe I didn't know that. Maybe I didn't. Okay, yeah. Um, but you know, it's but the now point it's that, yellow vests, Ron. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah yellow, yellow, vests. yellow vests. Right, right. Uh, it, this is uh, Red Hat is the third multi-billion-dollar acquisition of op- of an open-source software firm. MuleSoft was bought by Salesforce for six and a half billion, and GitHub taken over by Microsoft for seven and a half billion. And their point is, you know, right now, rather than being revolutionaries, the open source firms look more like the establishment. Right. And any thoughts on that? I mean, is that, does that change um, the dynamics about open source or? Well, no, because it means Linux is still open source. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Red Hat, Red Hat was a commercially, a commercialized version of Linux. Right, 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 right. And they would so, customize things. And, yeah, yeah. And 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 I, I and I don't know enough about it, but I, you know, there obviously I think there were programming utilities and and all kinds of uh, stuff that went along w- with with the the Red Hat uh, infrastructure. Right. right? But but I, you know I, I you know I think open source. We hear less and less about it, but I still think it's highly in play. I think, especially when it comes to blockchain, because I mean, let's just face it: blockchain is open source, right? Right. So, um, I, I think maybe that's where people have moved on to. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I just thought it was interesting. The other thing they point out, you know, IBM has had twenty-two quarters of declining revenue <laughs> um, when they bought this, and and just Watson has just been a massive disappointment in the AI world so far. And isn't it funny because Watson's got the best marketing? Yeah, no, it does. The, I, I mean, who, who does a better job marketing AI than the Watson commercials? Yeah, no, they were, it's fantastic, but yeah, but we haven't seen a lot of commercial applications. Yeah, this is the one law firm, right? Was it Ross, something like that? Yes, yes. Uh, but you know, there there has there hasn't been much much about that recently, and and it, I, I have not seen anything. I don't know if you have about Watson and and H and R Block because they formed a, a partnership for last year's tax season, right? And I, and I don't know if we've seen any any results or data from that. Yeah, I you know I haven't seen anything on that either. Of course, I haven't been looking for it either. So, um, but that'd be something worth checking into and how that's yeah. going. 
Yeah, maybe that's something that we'll take a look at dur- over you know during the course of the the first couple of months of this year because that's that's when it would come into back into right. to prominence right? right once the tax season starts to roll around I have have seen is this, have you seen the 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 uh, the Intuit commercial for TurboTax? Oh no, I haven't. Yeah, so yeah, CPA on demand. Uh, that always gets that always gets the profession up in hackles the TurboTax ads. <laughs> it really does. Yep. It, yep. You need to check it out. I'll see if I can find. I would post a link to it. But th- it's these three people at a technology show, and they're and they're walking around the floor of what looks like to be a a, a trade show, and and uh, the one of them says, "Oh, look, they 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 built an accountant right into their program." <laughs> <laughs> and there's the and there's this guy up on this podium that's spinning around, you know, like and he's he but he's at this desk and he's <laughs> it doesn't quite have the green lampshade but gone, but you it kind of gives a little modern flair to 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 it, and then and of course he's got a he's a modern accountant, Ron, because he's got a cat in his office. Oh right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, the guy that they, that does the H and R block commercials, the bow tie. I mean, that's just stereotype casting as well but anyway well uh, this is just flying by as usual the last free writer friday of the month and folks i'd like to remind you if you want to send an email to ed or myself you can do so at ask tsoe at verisage.com check out our show notes at the soul of enterprise.com now we want to hear from our sponsor leading results is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson if your site is not the best lead generation tool you have we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And the final episode of 2018 also happens to be our last edition of Free Rider Friday. We do 12 of them, and this is uh, show 222 of our careers here at Voice America. We're happy to, to uh, be renewing through Sage. We got uh, great great announcements in the last couple of weeks about that. So pretty excited for an, another year of sustainability of the soul of enterprise, Ron. <laughs> Me too. Thrilled. And speaking of sustainability. All right. Uh, Andrew Winston 
columnist at Harvard Business Review wrote the following column, the story of sustainability in 2018. We have about 12 years left, Ron. Yeah. See, this is the kind of stuff that just <laughs> blows my mind. You might as well start a well, cult and walk out in the middle of the desert and say, this is it. Well, okay. So yes. And uh, let me, let me disagree slightly. At least this guy is putting a date on it. Okay. Right. I'm going to give him points for putting dates on it. Al Gore did whenever, too. Al Gore uh, said, well, he didn't put a date, but he said 10 years. <laughs> well, that, same thing. Right. Yeah. So th- this is just, and I'll put, we'll post a link to this. This is just a litany of one. After, I, I'm just going to read kind of the, the, the head, the headlines of this article, the world scientists fa- sound a final alarm on climate, right? Entire towns wiped off the map by extreme weather. And of course, one of the things that they're talking about was the wildfires, which I think now even the climatologists have backed away from that being quote caused. Yep. Right, because there was so much of b- buildup in those in those forests that wasn't controlled burn, right? And, um, and, and just another, just real quick point on that: there's more people in these wooded, secluded areas, which means more power lines and all that too. And you got to take that into account, right? Um, Hurricane Florence temporarily turned a major highway into a river, Ron. <laughs> Yeah, um, there's a, a Venezuela's last glacier is disappearing. I but I think that's so- socialism is doing that. That's socialism's problem. Um, Cape Town, South Africa, is essentially out of water. Which I was there in 2018, and yes, there were water restrictions, and it was a, a huge big big deal. But they never did get to the day zero thing, and I don't know why. I don't know if there was there was any uh, rain that I haven't done any follow up research on that. But I will say this: one of the things when I brought it up as to why this is there yeah because there there is a desalination plan that's seven years behind schedule hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and ha- had that desalination plant come online this would not be an issue it's like famines they're not they're not you know they're politically made they're not <laughs> yeah yeah um the coral is dying insects are disappearing and the fate of major ecosystems looks dim uh, i'm gonna get i'm going this is just the headlines the u.s environmental protection system continues to be dismantled from within it's that mm-hmm. evil donald trump ron yep. uh prominent leader retires but leaders step up uh and and i i i was danone i think i'm pronouncing that right d-a-n-o-n-e d-a-n let me just say that d-a N-O-N-E. Danone? Mm, I guess that's Danone. Mm. Do you have any idea what that is? Or Danon? 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 No, no. Or no. Danon? But, it, but D-A-N-O-N-E. Any idea what that is? Any clue? No. Okay. It's the world's largest B corporation, Ron. <laughs> oh, Danon. Danon. The French company. It's not Danon like Danon yogurt. It's not? No. No, completely different thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, more investors are viewing climate change sustainability as value business issues. Okay. Well, you would think that that would get we would get points. Um, China's rejecting trash. On like on and on and on. The meatless options grow plentiful, and then this is just just an incredible like scaremongering thing from this Andrew Winston. Uh, I guess his book is called Green to Gold. 
the author of the green and green recovery. Look, here's the thing, and what they, they, what they're what we're trying to get get people throw in here is this this person saying that this is going to knock ten percent off of GDP, and I've never seen any comparison that says okay, compared to what? Yeah, compared no, to your plans. It's all witchcraft. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I I'll tell you the lesson I take away from this, Ed. Don't subscribe or read HBR. It's a rag. <laughs> All right, but the, here's the good news. Last thing I want to say about this: uh, your 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 friends here at the Solar Enterprise are here for you. I have put in two reminders for myself: six years from now, and twelve years from now. So I make a promise to our audience that if we are still on six years from now, God willing, in some capacity. I will have a reminder that goes off in my calendaring system that tells me to say, all right, we need to do a, a six-year update to this to see yeah. where we are. Oh, so, we can spend every show doing updates on predictions made in the past about, <laughs> I mean, if this guy's right about these cities disappearing, then that should be reflected in the real estate prices. Mm-hmm. And I want him to go study that. See if they're really, they should be gone. They should be cratered. If the experts are right, and this is indisputable, Mm -hmm. and we just don't see it. So it just, it just, this, this assaults common sense. (laughs) But it's there, Ron. It's there. I know. All right. I'm done with that. I'm done. Okay. Okay. Good. No more global warming updates. Uh, Okay, here's something out of The Economist from November 17th, coping with the 100-year life society. Just thought this was interesting. More than one half of Japanese babies born today can expect to live to 100. Wow. And the Prime Minister, Shinzo Abe, is that, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but I think it's right. Um, he is talks about, you know, building a model of how to make the ultra- Long lives, fulfilling and affordable. He calls it designing the hundred-year life society. And in order to do this, Japan has to persuade its current workers to labor longer, right? To work longer, mm-hmm. to stop retiring so early, uh, encourage more women into the labor force, and let in more immigrants. Now, they've made progress on all three of these, but according to the Economist, it's not enough. Their population that is declining at almost four hundred thousand per year. Wow. There's 1.6 vacancies for every job seeker. In other words, the burden of that elderly society is going to fall on fewer shoulders, right? Yeah. Pensions, all that. And it's just really interesting. I mean, we, again, we, I know we've talked about this multiple times. Economists just don't have models on a declining population because it's never really happened. Yeah, especially one that, that that is over a curve like that, right? Declining populations due to, say, war or uh, the Spanish flu. I guess right. we have some models for that. But those were short-term, quick quick changes to population in very specific right. places. Right, right. They weren't systemic and over right. the long run. And, yeah, it's just and, – and, you know, we know that the 90 – what was it, the 90s and even, I think – even through the 2000s, I mean, Japanese, they call it the lost decade or decades, right? Their economy was relative flatline. I mean, there wasn't a ton of growth. Um, of course, they did dumb fiscal things, too, like kept increasing taxes and other things. But 
you know, and I don't know if that has anything to do with the population, you know, decline, but it, it's just really interesting. It's an interesting topic. Po- yeah. Because popu- as the population starts to decline around the world in 2050s, 60s, as the UN demographers um, predict, um, we just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I've got no, another it, story on that, but um, just just in America as kind of a companion story, um, there, there's been a baby bust. I mean, from 2007, since the Great Recession, basically, America's fertility rate has declined from 2.12 to 1.77. Wow. Which, which matches England. Uh, and is well below France. Now, 2.1 is replacement because, mm-hmm. you know, to replace, you need to replace father, mother, and then but account for child mortality, right? So it roughly works out to 2.1 just to keep a population stable over time. Um, but your teenage birth rates have halved in the past 10 years, which is part of this decline. Um and it's interesting, of course, if you look at the immigrant fertility rate, it's much higher than the sure. native-born fertility rate. But overall, it went from 2.12 to 1.77. Now we're in European territory. Um, and that's just, you know, that's interesting. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the the meek shall inherit the earth. What's that line? Um, well, no, people who are around are going to inherit the earth. And if they're not around, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah. No, it's an interesting it's an interesting question to see, you know, where things go with that. Me and and look, we, we might be facing some of the same things that Japan is when it comes to, you know, social security and not having enough people to come in. This is why I mean honestly this is one of the reasons why I think the the uh, the, the the wall is such an insidious idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, no, it's it's a it, it, it's, it's a great argument for immigration that it's going to save Social Security. However, I have to say, Ed, the counter argument is you, you don't take a bankrupt system and make it better by adding more people to it. Uh, no, no, that and that's and that's true. And there, 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 there definitely needs to be a, a, a uh, something that's done with regard to that. Um, irrespective we, of what we do with immigration, exactly. Yeah. Irrespective yeah. of what we do with immigration, yeah. right? For sure. For sure. Right. Well, all right. Well, let me see if I can sneak a quick one in here before we we take our our, our next break. I th- I've got a couple of real short ones here. I just think think you might find fun. You might find funny. So, um, you know our what our our favorite Christmas song, Ron. Uh, oh, is that the Band Aid? Yeah. Do they know it's Christmas time? Yeah. Do they? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, yeah. I have to say, I like that. I like the song. Don't like the sentiment behind it, but I like the <laughs> tune. So this is this is my brother's Christmas joke that he posted, and it's not a true story, but it begins with the phrase "true story." He goes, "True story, uh, me colon Alexa define white privilege." Alexa, okay, playing. Do they know it's Christmas time by Band Aid? <laughs> oh, wasn't there all sorts of stuff about the the artists were complaining there wasn't enough caviar and you know. <laughs> You know, their limos were late. And oh, <laughs> where nothing ever grows. <laughs> oh, I just thought I, I just thought what they did in the movie and took down that song was so good. 
Yes. Remember yeah. Magot and even uh-huh. Father Robert Sirico. Was that Poverty Inc.? Yes, it was uh, Poverty Inc. Yeah. yeah. And they just totally blasted that song, which is just which was just great because it's so righteous. Yeah. That's what, and that and that is my entire point is like the people I know who are from Africa hate the song. <laughs> it's hate the song. Absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> there you go. There's a there's our little Christmas Christmas funny. So all right, we're against our next break. Wanna remind you the address the email address is ask. T-S-O-E at Verisage.com. Of course, the website, The Soul of Enterprise, up 24-7. For your listening pleasure, you can go back and listen to all 222 episodes of the show and also see the extensive show notes that Ron's, Ron puts together on a weekly basis. And if you haven't taken a look at that, strongly recommend that you do. Lots of really good, great bonus material in there as well. Uh, and then we do our preview to upcoming shows, so what we're, what's coming up in the, in the upcoming weeks. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Uh, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing Free Rider Friday for the last time this year in 2018. And then I've got one that's it's kind of upbeat in an ironic way, but... Um, at least at a global level, it's not so upbeat for America, but um, the suicide rate in America is up 18%. Yes. Since mm-hmm. the year 2000. Now, here's the here's what I meant by somewhat upbeat. At the global level, the rest mm-hmm. of the world, it's down 29% since 2000. But it's up 18% in America, and that's yeah. largely among white, middle-aged, poorly educated men in certain geographical regions. Mm-hmm. And this is from The Economist, um, November 24th. They had a whole kind of section on this. And, 
you know, the, the reason it's down from a global level is kind of interesting. Um, women in China, it's decreased pretty, pretty good among those groups, um, you know, because as prosperity comes, they have more options and all of that. Middle-aged men in Russia has gone way down. Uh, suicides among that group. Um, yeah, well, they're spending a lot of time, you know, posting on Facebook now. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just, it just—it reminded me of that old joke. What's the what you know? What's the stage between communism and capitalism? Alcoholism. Uh, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a big killer. Um, and old people all around the world are also on the on the decline. Um, the Economist thinks some of the reason for this is greater urbanization, falling poverty. And greater employment rates. If you're working, you, you know you have more meaning in your life, more purpose, and all of that. Um, and I listened to a podcast on this on NPR. They did a whole show on the the increase in the suicide rate in America, and why, and you know what can, what can be done about it, other than what is already being done. A lot of it's you know some of it's from the military. It happens across all segments, all demographics. Is really just. It was really interesting, but one thing that really struck me was that when somebody attempts suicide and it fails, 90% plus, even something like 94% of them never try it again. Mm-hmm. And out of 515 people that survived the Golden Gate Bridge leap <laughs> between 1937 okay. and 1971, 90, 94% were still alive in 78 which basically means they didn't they didn't try and commit suicide again. Um, the other thing they say uh, that could be causing some of it in America is it's it, suicide is strangely contagious. When Robin Williams committed suicide in 2014, in the following four months, there were 18 more 1800 more suicides than would have otherwise been expected if just normal trends would have continued. And there's enough data to kind of look back and kind of check that. You, you, mm-hmm. you, know, you can we can dispute the 1800 preciseness, but yeah, sure. You, but you can get a general vector on the trend of you know when these things are highly publicized, especially when a celebrity like Williams, you know, does this, and and they do seem to go up in the, in the months following. That's pretty well established. Um, so it's just it's just really interesting because I. I I, you know, listening to NPR on this, there was all oh, the government needs to do this, the government. And I'm just thinking, why do you think the government's capable of doing any of this? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, but I mean, just put, put that aside. Um, the, the, and then the economist has the nerve to say in this article somewhere that doctors should be able to assist, uh, you know, elderly people that have made the decision or just people that, you know, want to exit. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's. I'm sorry, I'm against doctors being able to do that. I think that's a really, really bad thing to do. Mostly because it violates their Hippocratic Oath. I mean, not that a doctor couldn't say, hey, you want to do it? Here's what you do. Or here's the prescription. You know, but to have them involved, I just, I have a problem with that. I think that's a big, big problem. Doctors are there to fight death, not cause it. Wow, there's a lot to unpack here, Ron. There is. I know. Um, so, but let me let let me first ask a couple questions about. Did they mention anything about the opioid crisis? Because I would think that that would that would been be a factor as well. Well, they right? did uh, a little bit, yeah. And of course, guns. 
You can't read one of these no. without access to guns. And that's part of the urbanization, right? Because they say, well, uh, farmers in rural areas kill things. And so they have access to guns. Yeah, but which is cool. nonsense, though, because if you just look at the statistics, the overall suicide rate is not all that different. Yeah, okay, now, yes, it's gone up in the U.S., but the overall suicide rate is not significantly different, and it's just that they happen to, we happen to use a gun. <laughs> right, right, yeah. no, Because we do have access to them, and that's yeah, true. Even if it goes yeah. up 18%, I, I just don't know. If they, you know, they try and buttress that argument that, well, because you have so easy access to it, because it's available, and it's going to be a sure thing. Right. Rather than if you took a bottle full of pills, maybe the hospital could revive you and then you'd never yeah, try true. it again. That's their argument that, well, but with a gun is probably going to kill you. But, you know, if you go some, if you try and do it some other way and you fail, then chances are you'll never try it again. Interesting argument. I don't know whether I fully buy into that because, again, then the suicide rate would rates wouldn't be significantly different then. So yes, I suppose there would be a certain percentage of people who were saved. But if if you are really willing, if you're looking to do yourself in, I, it, to me, it's you're gonna it, yeah, I yeah. You know. Even if the argument's true, even if I bought it a hundred percent, I still wouldn't care because you're talking about liberty, right. <laughs> Right, right, and uh, you know, and and here's the thing: like with the with the pill with the pills thing, you you wonder how many people who take take pills who are then discovered because they they wanted to be saved, or there was at least some part of them. Right, you know what I mean? Right, 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 right sure. Whereas whereas somebody who really wants wants to die is going to take pills and and is going to go do do it in a place where there's no very little chance of them being discovered. Yeah, yeah. Right. So <laughs> unlike unlike the people that leap off the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. gotta be that's gotta be terrible. Here, you know, you try it and you, and you end up surviving. You know, the Coast yeah. Guard. Next thing you know, the Coast Guard's fishing you out of the bay. I mean, but, <laughs> uh, but okay. So, but there's a couple other things on this. So yeah, the OPI thing would be one of the the other thing is is so what under the heading of what do we do about this and all. I don't know. I, I, I've really been thinking a lot about this concept. This is, I guess it's good that we're on the holidays and thinking about this, but to me, this gets, it's about what is the cause of happiness? Happiness being the inverse of depression, right? Would you, so would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Happiness in one's life being sort of the inverse of depression. And, I, I think that and I don't know where I came across this, but it's in the last couple of months I heard somebody say, "Oh, is it, I was on a Russ Roberts podcast, and I can't remember which one." But gratefulness is the cause of happiness. Happiness doesn't cause you to be grateful, right? Right. And I think it's an important point to recognize that what what we need is we, all of us just need to more gratitude in our lives. That's 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 the thing that we need to think about and control as individuals. And look, this is this is what makes society a better place to one step at a time is your your focusing on being being in a state of gratitude to others. Number one, it makes you happier. But number two, your expression of that gratitude toward others has the opportunity to to create a shift in their lives as well. Right. 
right? Yeah, I you know, I, I, and maybe I'll bring this up when they come on later this month. Uh, but uh, Rabbi Lappin's kind of talked about this issue, and he says it's the decline of religion, it's the decline of belief. And okay, you know, uh, yeah, I, you know, and, and if 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 religion and gratitude are are related, which I believe they are, then sure, yeah, definitely. You know, because. Um, Religion provides faith in the future, right? And what what's the ultimate no faith in the future? Right. In committing suicide. So Well, no, but I've heard, I've heard the inverse argument, which is that I have such a, a a deep earnest faith in the future that that my future is better mm. departing this life. Yeah. Yeah, that could there be. Are, there are deeply religious people who commit suicide because sure. they're like that has got to be better. Sure. That's the interesting thing about it. It cuts across a lot of different demographic groups that you would never, <laughs> you know, you would never think of. Yeah. Um, but uh, detailed studies I've never seen. I've never seen a breakdown of how many, you know, really devout Catholics or various other denominations have done this. But it would be interesting to see those numbers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I it, it's it's tragic, Ed. But I just this cacophony of you know what's the government going to do i just what <laughs> makes you think the government can solve it why can't humans solve it no exactly exactly well hey listen we've got one minute left and i just want to throw this out there because it's just a perfect time to uh again this is one of one of the things that survived my purgation right <laughs> of the stack <laughs> right um, so but it's it's a little bit older it's from november 25th and this is an article um originally published in intellectual takeout mm, intellectual okay. takeout um and this is uh why why socialists are more are more materialistic than capitalists mm. right or said inversely and i think this is this is the this is the more important way that i would think about this is why um spiritual people are more inclined to embrace free markets than materialists, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to love this because he, he opens up with a with a a a quote from uh, Michael Novak, right? That uh, that where Novak urged or argued that uh, possess cer- certain commonalities that or that the, uh, cultures such as Confucianism, Judaism, Protestantism, and Northern European Catholics possess certain commonalities that made them more likely to engage in capitalism successfully. Among these commonalities that cited by Novak were, quote, a certain rigor and austerity and an almost stoic sense of sobriety and responsibility and a certain disdain for corruption. And uh, anyway, I just want to post a link to this uh, this article and and have some folks read it who are interested because it's a it's a really good one and and um, uh, on the, this notion of the difference between capitalism and materialism. So just as a follow on to your your and 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 a little slightly more upbeat note, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> no, you and and that is so right. I mean, there's nobody more materialist than the former socialist or communist countries. All they talked about was hitting their quotas and the farm production. You were just bombasted with that. Whereas mm-hmm. in capitalism, there's enough po- there's enough wealth to to explore the finer things in life that are more spiritual. Yep. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, up against our last break, Ron. Ron, to remind you, the show is The Soul of Enterprise. You can see us at thesoulofenterprise.com, which is our website. And listen, hey, those of you who are looking to potentially become sponsors, we are we are really going to make a push in 2019 to up the number of sponsors that we have for the show. So our, if you've listened this this far into the show, I'm sure that the Soul of Enterprise is something that you, you care about. And if you or someone you know you think would be a great sponsor for the show, please send us an email at AskTSOE. We'd love to hear from you on that. And lastly, if you want to give Ron and I a late Christmas present, uh, please go out to iTunes or wherever you listen to The Soul of Enterprise and give us a quick review of the show. Really love to hear from you. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing the last free rider Friday for the year for the month of December. And Ed, I got one here from Bartleby, the regular column in The Economist called mm-hmm. Take a Break. And it's from the November 24th issue. Um, and I, 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 I'm, this guy's growing on me. He's a relatively new columnist. I think he started sometime this year. And we talked about where the name comes from, right? It's yes. From that, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but this guy has got a kind of a warped sense of humor, and he's, he has disdain for business books and probably publications like Harvard Business Review. <laughs> uh, so he's kind of growing on me. I kind of like this guy. And anyway, he talks about the typical American worker works 100 hours more than the typical British worker. Um, we work 400 more hours in the typical year than the French. Um and and the Germans. So we get 17.2 days of vacation uh, on average per year, which is actually down, by the way, from 1978 when it was 20.3. I don't know what happened. 
And and around half the workers don't take their full allotment of their time off. Um, the EU, our friends in Brussels, demand or, or or legislate 20 paid holidays per year. Somehow Spain and Sweden uh, wiggle 36 paid holidays. Now, pay, this is so, different. Paid holidays as different from yes. vacation. Yes. yes. Okay. okay. Yes. Um, so obviously we we uh, we we put in we put in more more time, um, but the, the another another HBR study uh, from 2016. One of the professors from Harvard came up with well, but you know those who took 11 plus days off were twice as likely to get a raise. So the premise, the hypothesis was, just because you work longer more hours doesn't mean you're more productive. Now, I'm very sympathetic to that argument because I don't think that time is a great measure of effectiveness. But uh, this guy points out, well, yeah, that could be true, but the causation could work the other way. Star workers may feel they can afford to take a break, right? So could go go the other way. and then, of course, he brings up Parkinson's law, right? Which work expands to fill the time available. I just, it was just kind of interesting. It was basically saying, hey, take a break and don't feel guilty about it because you're probably going to lead to more productivity. Um, it just reminded me of, you know, Roe and Jody Thompson and Callie Resler about, you know, manage the work, not the people, right? Nice. Just get yeah. your work done. I mean, I, I kind of have sympathy for the argument that, you know, nobody's changed the world putting in 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not just work for the sake of work or killing yourself or ruining your health. or, But but fanatics are fanatics, and they're just in the flow more. Right. And they, they're not aware of the time. <laughs> you do what it takes to build a business, right? And mm-hmm. that's probably going to require putting in more time is measured after the fact on a timesheet or whatever, but you want to change the world. You gotta, you gotta have a fanatical mission. Well, you know, and then here's the other thing too, Ron, as, as, as we get more and more into, and more people cross the threshold to become full on knowledge workers, right. And look, this goes back to a post I did what in 2008 It's like, if, if I'm awake, I'm, thinking absolutely (laughs) um gathering knowledge um how many times have you and i talked on this program about the man in the high castle or stuff we watched on tv and how it's we've related it back in some way to either business or or just the creativity that's involved in that so does you know does 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 binge watching man in the high castle count for overtime i I guess, I guess, I mean, right. <laughs> right? Should, I, should I submit to Sage, you know, hey, I talk about the man in the high castle, so I should put when I'm, you know, binge watching, um, I should be getting paid. At what point, you know, wh- where does work begin and end is the question. Right. Especially now that we're so, you know, online all the time and completely accessible. But it just I think it comes back to the, you know, the impact you can make. And those impacts are you know, more guided by the 2080 rule. Like a lot of things I do are just, they, it, it, they're not dependent on the quantity of time I put in. They're dependent upon 
the words I use or the examples or, or the ideas that I spread, that's what makes the impact. And that can, it just can't be measured by hours. But, you know, unfortunately, hours are the easy measurement, right? So that's what everybody defaults to. And that's, that's one of my issues with this. But you, you bring up an interesting point, Ed, about uh, how we draw lessons from different things. I mean, the Christmas Carol show that we ran last week, um, mm-hmm. NPR also on Planet Money did a show on uh, the Christmas Carol. And they went to some high school in Connecticut that, that was doing the play, right? Mm-hmm. But the, And they were talking about some economic lessons out of the Christmas Carol, you know, the whole miser thing. But one that they brought up that I don't think you and I hit on, and I missed it. But remember when the the uh, the kids come to the door of Scrooge and ask for a donation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he goes off on this tyrant about, oh, well, we have the poor houses for that with their surplus population. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, that was Dickens nailing Robert Malthus. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if you and I said that. I, I know I didn't bring it up. You might have. I, 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 it, but that, that term is a trigger. It should have triggered me. Because right, when he right. said surplus population, that's what Malthus, you know, Thomas Malthus wrote about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it decreased the surplus population. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Because yeah, Dickens, I can see that. Dickens hated Malthus and he hated Frederick Winslow Taylor. He, oh, yeah. He, he, well, he had disdain imagine. for that. He just had total disdain for trying to, you know, turn uh, – humankind into a number yep all right well listen ron we we're we're right up against the the end of end of the show here about two minutes one minute and a half till the close i want i want to throw this one out there long long piece in the new york times that i'll put put on the put put up on the show notes and really should read it because it's absolutely fascinating published on december 21st what is glitter Hmm. okay (laughs) okay you would not believe ron (laughs) how intense it is to make glitter. I and bet. there's basic there's basically two factories, mostly in the US. Did you know that the US is the largest net exporter of glitter, Ron? Of glitter. We're the OPEC of glitter. We are right. the OPEC of glitter. So all of that Christmas stuff that we get from China, we send them the glitter and then they send it back to us. Right? <laughs> Okay, and it's very complex and very secretive. Like the companies that produce this stuff, really, really secretive about the process. All right, won't even say who their number one customers are. All right, la- last thing, you can the minimum purchase from one of these co- companies that actually makes the glitter is ten pounds of glitter, Ron. Mm-hmm. Ten pounds. It's mm-hmm. a big bag. Ten pounds right. of glitter. Right, right. How much? How much for the ten pounds of glitter? I have no idea. Thousand bucks, a hundred dollars a pound, my friend. Glitter. Wow. A hundred dollars a pound. We are in the wrong business. <laughs> wow. Uh huh. <laughs> Phenomenal. Yep. Yep. That, that's fascinating. <laughs> wow. Okay. Look All right. Reading that. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. No, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So what's on store for next week? Ron, next week we're going to do our sh- show on a recap of 2018, the year in review. Oh, far out. I will see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. 
energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit our website at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thank you.